Welcome back to episode 24 of the I'm Open podcast. Today we're going to be talking about LeBron James. Does he have a tiny bladder? And if so, did it affect the Super Bowl? We're also going to be talking about a crazy new innovation coming to NBA Twitter and why I'm the only person in the world who's not mad at referees right now. All coming up next on the I'm Open podcast. I'm Open Family. We had a very exciting and controversial weekend of football last weekend. Just a few days ago, we had only four teams remaining. The New Orleans Saints, the Los Angeles Rams, the New England Patriots, and the Kansas City Chiefs. They played in the AFC and NFC Championships, respectively. And the Patriots moved on along with the Los Angeles Rams, and they're going to meet in the Super Bowl coming up very soon. This is all exciting but what i what i really want to mention about this weekend and uh, there was a lot of surprise endings a lot of controversies and a lot of saints fans especially were so angry at a missed penalty call by uh referee bill vinovich and we'll get to him later in the podcast but a lot of these saints fans were so angry with a missed call by his squad of referees that they're actually trying to sue the nfl to replay the game or to to make them feel better. I'm not exactly sure what they're trying to sue the NFL uh, and what, or what they think is going to actually come out of it, but they are trying to sue the NFL. They're putting up billboards all over Atlanta, which is where the Super Bowl is going to be played, saying that the Saints should be there. They're very upset. But I can tell them that I saw this win coming from a mile away, maybe 100 miles away, for the Los Angeles Rams. And there was a couple telling, telling signs and reasons why I knew before this was ever going to happen, and I'm not a betting man, but maybe I should be because I could have made myself a lot of money because the Saints were definitely favorites, and I could have made myself a lot of money on this, but I, uh, like I said, I didn't, and that's okay because I just do it for the fun of the game. That's all right. But there was a lot of telltale signs. You could see it coming from uh, way off in the distance. The, the Rams were going to win this game. The Rams were definitely going to win this game. Now, the first reason why I knew for sure, without a doubt in my mind, that the Los Angeles Rams were going to win this game, it all goes back to the King LeBron James. Now, you might be wondering to yourself, LeBron James? Wait, what? He doesn't even play football. Well, you're right. He used to play football, and I'm sure he could if he wanted to, but he, he doesn't play football professionally, so you are right about that, if that's what you were saying to yourself inside your head. You might... You must be saying, how, how? LeBron wasn't even at the game. He, he's not even a Rams fan. He's not even a Saints fan. How could how could he possibly have affected the game? Well, he did. And it always goes back to LeBron somehow. It always goes back to LeBron. Now, we're going to go back in history a little bit. Last week, the Los Angeles Rams were playing in Los Angeles at their home stadium. That's also where LeBron James happens to play for the Los Angeles Lakers. Now... They were playing against the Dallas Cowboys, and LeBron, for his entire life, or basically as long as we've known him, or he's made it uh, public on social media, has been a big-time Cowboys fan. So, even though they were playing against his new home team, I guess, in L.A., he, I would assume, was there rooting for the Dallas Cowboys. He's been seen all over the place, posing with Cowboys hats, Cowboys shirts, you know, tweeting about, go Cowboys. So I'm sure he was there to support the Cowboys, but he was seen inside of the Rams locker room before the game even started. There was a lot of hubbub about this. Why? Why would LeBron James be with the Rams before the game? Isn't that a distraction for the Rams? Is LeBron switching sides again? Why? Why would LeBron be in the Rams locker room? You know as well as I, I'm open family. LeBron, he's a winner. He can't help it. It's in his blood. LeBron James is a winner with the capital W-I-N-N-E-R. All the letters are capitals because that's what he fucking does all the time. He wins. LeBron James. So he was in visiting with the Rams because he must have known. Look, I like the Cowboys. Not me. I'm talking as LeBron here. LeBron's saying to himself, huh, you know, I do like the Cowboys. That's the team I've always rooted for, but the road's probably going to stop here. I'm an L.A. guy anyway. I don't want to look bad rooting for the team that, uh, you know, is again playing against my new hometown team now that I live in L.A. My family's in L.A. Let me just go in, hang with the Rams briefly before the game. Give them a little, you know, 
luck, a little, give him a little charm before the game, get him piped up before the game. According to LeBron, he just had to pee. He just had to pee. Now, I'm not even playing. LeBron said he needed to use the restroom before the game. And they just took him into the locker room because that was the closest restroom to where he was. Now, I don't know exactly how many restrooms are inside of the the stadium where the Rams play. There's probably a lot, I would guess. I know LeBron is a fancy guy. He's probably not sitting out with the normal, regular folks like you and I. So, yeah, okay, LeBron's not going to use the whole lineup where all everybody's fighting to, to go to the urinals, and he shouldn't have to. But don't you think LeBron, he was probably sitting in the box, right? My man's making over $35 million a year, okay? So there's no chance that he was sitting in just row 38F, you know, in between other people and passing like, hey, pass me the Miller Light. Can you pass this down? And I'd like some chips. No, LeBron wasn't doing that. He probably had his own box. That's probably my guess. You know what the nice thing about sitting in a box is? Probably the best thing about sitting in a box. You have your own bathroom. That's the number one. I mean, obviously, it's nice to have your own food. It's, it's not, you know, it's nice to have your own little space. But the number one best thing for anybody who's ever spent time in a box during a sporting event, and I'm not trying to brag and say that I'm that fancy, but I was able to sit in a box for a Washington Mystics game, go Mystics, a couple seasons ago. And it was very nice. And the number one best thing about being in the box was that you get your own private bathroom. So, congratulations, LeBron. You had to pee. That was the closest one. Maybe LeBron has a really, really tiny bladder. He was walking through. He's like, I cannot hold it. And they're like, Bron, you're just going to be up in the box. It's just one elevator ride and you're up. He said, I can't hold it. Did you hear me? I really have to go. They're like, okay, LeBron, okay. That's fine. Just come in here really quick and you'll use the restroom in the locker room. That's fine. Look, if LeBron really does have a tiny bladder, shouts to Bron Bron, okay? Team tiny bladder all the way. I'll say it loud, and I'll say it proud, okay? I peed about 16 times yesterday, and I'm not even exaggerating. So if LeBron has a tiny bladder, uh, welcome to welcome aboard, all right? And we got to stick together on this one, LeBron. Uh, but it's like how far, how far away could Bron's box have been that there's literally no other place for him to pee that he had to go into the Rams locker room. Now, I totally respect this. LeBron's a politician. And if we're lucky, he might be president of the United States one day, though I don't think he's going to want to really meddle himself into that mess. He's probably going to want to relax and make movies and maybe buy the Cleveland Cavaliers uh, from their shit, shitty owner. But anyways, I think LeBron probably could have made it up to his box. And I, I think he's covering it up a little bit because he doesn't want his Cowboys friends. He knows he's been a Cowboys fan all over the internet. He's friends with guys on the Cowboys. He's met with their owner, Jerry Jones. I'm sure he doesn't want people want people to think he's just been switching sides. And LeBron would never uh, switch sides, would he? Um, yeah, he might. He might, actually, because it's not like LeBron hasn't switched sides before, and I'm not trying to roast here. I mean, we all are allowed to change our minds as adults. That's one thing that I think sometimes people get attacked. Like, hey, man, you used to, man, hey, you used to love Arthur, man. How can you stop watching Arthur? It's like, well, people grow up. People grow up. They Their styles change. Hey, bro, you used to wear those crazy big ripped jeans that had, like, uh, metal hooks on the side of them and 38 pockets. Well, people change. People grow up, and people have different styles, right? And that's allowed. That's life. That's called maturing, progressing in life. And LeBron, we've seen him do this a couple times when he left Cleveland, when he came back to Cleveland, when he left Cleveland again. LeBron has a lot of forethought and foresight. And I'm not sure if there's a difference between those two uh, words, but you know what I'm trying to say. He thinks about it before it happens. That's why he's a genius. He thinks about it before it happens on the court, and he thinks about it before it happens in life. Okay, he's starting his own production companies. He's he's started his own agency to represent other players. But we don't need to talk about all that right now because we have talked about that before. He's a mogul, not not just a basketball player. But I think LeBron kind of knew deep down. I love my Cowboys. And I don't think they're going to win. I don't think they're going to beat the Rams. So he went in, paid his respects. He did on the tweet. I mean, he did in his response say, like I said, 
I had to go to the bathroom before the game, but he said, thank you, Rams, for the hospitality, and congrats on the W. Salute to the homies, TG400, that's Todd Gurley, Endemic Hong Su, shout out Jared Goff, Aaron Donald, and the Archer, that's Brandon Cooks. Now, I would, side total sidebar here, I would feel a little hurt if I was Aaron Donald, Jared Goff, or Brandon Cooks. Because he said, salute the homies, Todd Gurley and Damagong Su. Those are his homies. That's great. And then he said, shout out to. I would personally, I'd be rather, I would rather be in the homies category than just the shout out category. Shout out category means like, oh, we had a way to go. Cool. All right. Homies category means like we're friends. It seems weird that LeBron differentiated which ones were his homies and which ones he was just shouting out. You know, it's like I can... I can shout out anybody. It doesn't mean I know them. But if I call somebody a homie, you kind of have to you kinda have to know them. Now, I'm not saying he should pretend like he knows those guys. I'm just saying you all know which one's a little bit inner circle and which one's outer circle. But that was the first reason why I knew Rams are on a roll. LeBron, he knows. Let's, like I said, he rolls with the winners. He is a winner. He knew the Rams had winning on their side. And that's the first reason I knew, okay, Rams are going to beat the Saints because Bron, Bron Bron's on the bandwagon now, right? So Rams definitely got it. Now, the second reason I knew that the Rams were going to beat the Saints was actually a video that came out of the New Orleans Saints locker room the week before. Now, they defeated the Philadelphia Eagles, and it was an exciting game. And congratulations to the Saints for, for winning the game. It was awesome for them, and they, I honestly... Before this all happened, I thought the Saints were going to win the Super Bowl. But then when I saw this video come out, I was a little concerned. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was concerned. So after the New Orleans Saints beat the Eagles, they had a huge dance party in the Saints locker room. Now, I love dance parties. They're fun. I have no problem with dance parties. They're great. I have no problem with bonding with your teammates. That's also great. And that helps build the fabric of a winning team. But... I was just watching the video, and it looked like they were having a great time, and I love, like I said, I love watching people dance with their friends and turn up and have a great time, and they really were turning up. Like, they literally turned the locker room to look into, like, a club. They had, like, strobe lights going, neon lights going, like a fog machine. I don't know, maybe the fog was just coming from the showers or something, but it looked like a dope club. If you didn't know this was the Saints locker room, you would think this was a banging nightclub. Until you saw Mark Ingram dancing basically naked. He just had a towel on. That's cool. It's a locker room. Not a, I'm not saying he's not allowed to be changing. That's what people do in there, okay? But that's kind of the giveaway that it's, it's, not, a, it's not a nightclub. It's, it is the locker room. So the Saints were turning up heavy, heavy. And obviously, you're excited to win. It's fun to win. Feels good to win. Feels good to celebrate with your teammates. But the mission is still at hand. You just beat the Eagles. Okay, that's nice. They're defending champions, but they didn't really have a great season. They were playing their backup quarterback, Nick Foles, who was our mask off performer of the week for, for our last episode. And they were, they were having a nice little run. And obviously, any win is a good win in the NFL, especially with such great competition. But if I was on the team, I would have been like, guys, this is are we really dancing over this, over making it to the NFC Championship? Our goal is to win the Super Bowl. Our goal isn't to beat the Eagles. Our goal is to beat everybody and be the world champions. And the fact that they were getting so lit, get going crazy, dancing, chopping around in the locker room, like, yes, do that and have fun, but it seemed a little premature. It seemed a little premature. I don't know if they were already assuming that they were going to roll all the way to the Super Bowl after beating the Eagles. I don't know if they just party like that after every single game. But I think the playoffs is a little bit different. Okay, maybe if you party like that after you beat your rivals, the Atlanta Falcons or Carolina Panthers during the regular season, that's okay. Um, but the fact that you're in the middle of the playoffs, this is a battle every single week to try to advance and win the su Super Bowl. There's one goal. There's one singular goal for every, every team that enters into the playoffs, and that is to win the championship. I don't think anybody goes into the playoffs and is like, hey, man, if we just make it to the second round, high fives all around, and we'll dance and go home. No, I don't really think that's what anybody wants from their team or from their playoff experience. So that did make me a little concerned. And when I saw that video, honestly, it made me doubt the New Orleans Saints. And like I said previously, I really thought they were the front runners to win the Super Bowl. I still do think they had the most talented team of any of the teams remaining. 
They were stacked on all levels. But I, they were just celebrating a little, little bit too hard for me when they still hadn't reached the goal at hand. You know, you don't, you don't turn up and go crazy when you finish your junior year. You wait until you actually graduate because you don't want to uh, flunk out because you party too hard your senior year, right? I mean, it's not the exact same thing, but it's like you, you focus on the mission at hand and then you, you finish it and then you celebrate when it's done. You don't see people jumping around, hugging each other and chugging a beer after they've ran 19 miles of a marathon because then they would throw up the beer the rest of the marathon and they wouldn't finish, okay? And they would waste too much energy dancing to, to be able to finish the marathon. You gotta, you gotta finish, you gotta finish, you gotta seal the deal, then you can dance. Then you can dance all fucking night long, dance all day, go dance all around the world, and dance until the next season starts. That's awesome. But while you're still in the middle of it, focus on the end. Focus on the end. You don't want to bite into a steak when it's halfway cooked, because that's not the final goal. You don't want to start enjoying it before it's done, because you'll get salmonella. Or something bad. I don't know if it's exactly salmonella, but you're not supposed to eat raw meat regardless, right? So you, you wait until you actually do what you set out to do, and then you celebrate all the way home. So, Saints, I do feel bad for you guys. You guys did get robbed on that call. It was a terrible call. But there's something um, that's called hubris, and I'm not sure if I'm using it correctly, but I'm pretty sure it applies to this situation, <laughs> which is when you take it for granted a little bit too much and then you fall back down to earth. And I think the Saints did take it for granted a little bit. I think they celebrated a little bit too hard. I think that was the other reason I knew why and I could have told all y'all to put your money down on the Los Angeles Rams. They definitely had that game locked up before it even started. on the prize focusing on the final goal on the mission at hand that's something that the Clemson Tigers totally did this season and you got to hand it to them they just won the college football playoff their national champion they went 15 and 0 this season didn't lose a single game and as is tradition for uh, every major sport Clemson's football team was invited to pay a visit to the White House. The Golden State Warriors, when they won the championship for, for the NBA last season, there was a big sort of back and forth where they publicly said, we don't really want to go to the White House before they even had the chance to be invited. Then Donald Trump came out and said, well, you weren't even invited anyway, but it was too late because they had already said they didn't want to go. I respect those guys a lot. They still came to D.C., but instead they spent time with the community, um, and made, made a social impact while they were here, rather than spending time with the president who, frankly, uh, hasn't really shown respect for them. First of all, I'm not sure if the Clemson players actually had a choice whether they were allowed to opt out of going to the White House or not. I hope they did. I certainly hope they did, but I'm not sure they did. When you think about the way that Donald Trump has talked about a lot of players in the NFL and really publicly berated them for basically just trying to stand up for basic human rights for people of color in this country, and Donald Trump uh, has been very offended by that. And he has called names and really um, publicly tried to berate NFL players for their, for their public stances and, and for being socially active and outspoken. So when you think of Clemson, it's a really high-quality program. Obviously, they won the championship. A lot of these guys are about to be in the NFL next year or the year after that or maybe the year after that. So if you're in the NFL and you're looking over to your side at a guy who just the year before visited and spent time with a guy who was insulting you publicly, I don't know how that's going to feel or I don't know how that's going to look. For their teammates. Now, like I said, 
I don't know if they had a choice to visit or not. They might have, the university might have said, hey, if you don't do this, you're losing your scholarship or whatever. I mean, I don't know if they're allowed to do that. It doesn't seem like they should be allowed to do that, but the NCAA does a lot of stuff that it doesn't seem like they should really be allowed to do, in my opinion. So that might have been the case. But it's hard for me to imagine with all of the inflammatory statements, all of the disturbing statements the president has made about people of color, about football players, especially professional football players, that these guys, now I know they're not professionals, but like I said, they probably, a lot of them probably will be one day. And the fact that these guys were there spending the day with him, I wonder if it might rub their teammates the wrong way once they go pro. Now, sadly, this wasn't even the biggest surprise of the night. The biggest surprise was what the players were served when they arrived to the White House. We're all aware that the government is currently uh, closed. Closed. Uh, Sorry, we're closed. So, for that reason, the catering team that normally works at the White House was not there to work. And that's normally the team that would provide food and a meal for the players that visit. They weren't there. So instead, Donald Trump decided to pay for the players to have a meal out of pocket. That's great. That's really nice of him to buy the dinner for like 60 guys or however many they had. That's so awesome. The first thing, though, that rubs me the wrong way is I shouldn't know. I shouldn't know. You guys shouldn't know that Donald Trump personally paid for this out of his own, like, account. Right? If I mean, if you're really, really, really wealthy and you know you got it, you don't have to be like, oh, I paid for that. Right? That's pretty, that's pretty corny. That's pretty corny. I mean, look, it's not a surprise. Donald Trump is, is the king of corny, right? So it's not a big surprise. But it's just like, doesn't he realize, like, really, really, if you really got it, right, you don't have to brag about paying for something because it's just kind of like, implied it shouldn't be a big deal for you if you're really that rich if you're really not worried about your financial uh situation at all you're just willing to throw bills left and right i really don't understand why you need to brag about footing the bill and not only was he bragging about footing the bill he was bragging about the cuisine that he got the players which was fast food. This is really what Trump said. I think we're going to serve McDonald's, Wendy's and Burger Kings with some pizza. It will be interesting. I would think that's their favorite food, so we'll see what happens. First of all, you're bragging about footing the bill. You're bragging, I paid! I'm the one who paid! I'm the one who paid! First of all, like I said, that's really corny. That's really corny. If you go out to dinner with somebody who's bragging about paying, I would just be like, look, man, do you want me to pay you back? Or do you want to split the bill or what? Because if somebody's bragging about paying that much, it seems like they're actually like deep down actually feeling a little salty about having to pay because why are you still talking about it so much why is it such a big deal that you paid okay if it's if it's not a big deal for you like it would just be like oh an anonymous person paid for this and you don't have to brag that it was you so anyway he didn't even break the bank let's be honest he bought burgers he bought hamburgers and pizza and french fries for the players. If you really wanted to prove how much money you have, why don't you buy them all like fancy steaks? Why don't you buy them fish eggs? Why don't you buy them sushi? Why don't you buy them some, you know, creme brulees? Why don't you buy them some real nice, classy meals, not hamburgers? I could buy a hundred hamburgers too. I mean, I wouldn't do that. It's like, I don't have that, I don't have that much money, but that's the point, I could still afford a hundred hamburgers. I wouldn't want to, like, I don't know what I would do with them all. But it's not, like, that impressive. And, especially when you remember, these men are professional athletes. Athletes. How do they make their money? Now, of course, you're not allowed to get paid to play a college sport. All right, all right. How did they uh, get their scholarships? Their bodies. By taking great care of their bodies. By being... incredible athletes like does eating a hundred hamburgers help you be a better athlete there was literally an article earlier this season about 
Donna McLean. She's the head nutritionist for the Clemson Tigers. She was saying it's all about teaching the players to select the fuel they need to power their bodies. These guys' bodies are like Ferraris, okay? They're not like me or you, okay? They're, they're, you've really got to, look, I could eat a hamburger and I'll be fine. My stomach might be a little off, but it doesn't really matter. It's not like I need to sprint down the block to work. I'll get there when I get there. It's not like I need to hurdle anybody on my way. But with Donna McCain, this is what she said. We need to monitor what the players eat. Give them one-on-one cooking demos. It's conversational nutrition education. That's how our guys learn best, and it's better to have a conversation about nutrition. What kind of conversation? What kind of educational experiment? How does this help them learn about nutrition? I understand it's a one-time thing. Maybe you could say it's a cheat meal after they won the championship. But this whole experience just shows how out of touch Donald Trump is. How could he not think and realize these guys are working on their bodies every single day? Do they really need to spurge and eat as many hamburgers as they want? And he was bragging. He said, all the amazing athletes here today, they wiped more food than any human being has ever seen before, including me. I've never seen so much. Okay, you're bragging about how many hamburgers you got for guys, and and now you feel pressure. I'm like this. If there's food on the table, I will finish it. I take it as a personal challenge. And I know we've talked about this before on the podcast. That's why I love buffets. Okay, I take it as a personal challenge to myself, an endurance competition. And I'm sure these guys can all eat a lot. They're hardworking athletes, and I'm sure they can burn the calories in a couple days. They work out so much in their own 19, 20 years old. But I don't know if it's setting the best example, and it's obviously showing that you don't really understand what it takes to be a top-notch athlete. Of course, of course, before the players even entered into the room, Donald Trump had to talk about the shutdown, which, of course, he started and he he's at fault for. He had to talk about the shutdown, why it was necessary, how proud he was of Republicans for being so strong on the shutdown, and how important border security was. How does this relate to Clemson? How does this relate to their football team? I have no idea. He's, he's taking this moment that's supposed to be for these young men to celebrate what for a lot of them is probably going to be the greatest moment of their lives or at least their sports careers. And no, it has to be about him. It has to be about the shutdown, how awesome it is, and how proud Donald Trump is of himself. I really, really don't understand why he couldn't just give one probably hour that they were spending in the White House to just not have himself be the center of attention. Let these young men who've been working so hard, let them be the center of attention. And why do you have to bring up border security? I have no idea what border security has to do with college football. I have no idea. (sighs) What about college football made Donald Trump think about the shutdown, made him think about border security, and now he's taking credit on himself for buying these guys hamburgers, and he assumes it's their favorite food. How does he know what their favorite food is? You don't know their favorite food. Maybe they like burritos. Maybe they like sushi. Maybe they like some hummus or falafel. He's, it seems very presumptuous to just assume that everybody's favorite food is, is Burger King. These aren't like seven-year-old kids. They, they're, they're college-aged young men. They might have a more distinguished and complex palate at this point in their lives to have tried different foods. I mean, may, they live in South Carolina. Maybe they like uh, ribs or pulled pork or some of the different barbecue delicacies that come from that part of the country. I don't, I'm sure they would have been happy to eat some actual good quality food, not some burgers made of cardboard and who else knows what. So anyway... Congratulations again to the Clemson Tigers for their national championship. I'm sorry you guys had to go through uh, that whole experience. And I'm also, to be honest, I am a little bit disappointed. I am a little disappointed because I think this would have been a great opportunity. uh, And I wish some of these players would have taken a stand and said, no thanks, I'd rather not attend.
podcast is not about politics. This podcast is about sports. And this story, it made me uh, really sad and concerned. But the headline was so crazy and, and hard to believe that I had to include it on this episode and discuss it with you guys. A man in Mississippi was shot by his friend's dog. That I'll just say that again. I, you didn't hear me uh, misspeak. I didn't. Uh, it wasn't a typo. A man was shot by his friend's dog in Mississippi. Now, why does this relate to sports? One of these gentlemen actually played for the Louisiana State University Tigers, LSU Tigers. These gentlemen, this was just a couple years ago. He doesn't play for LSU anymore. And they have a hunting trip they do every single year. Micah Heckford, he's the gentleman who organized the hunting trip. And his dog was the shooter, as it were. Now, he didn't play for LSU. His friend, Matt Branch, uh, used to play at LSU from 2008 until 2011. They're great friends, and they do this hunting trip every single year. I am not going to make light of anyone getting shot. I'm not going to make jokes about that. It's terrible. And it it is crazy that the dog did it. Obviously, that's not what anybody expect, was expecting. But what happened was there was some guns laid out in the back of the pickup truck. Now, the dog jumped into the back of the truck. And as he was walking around looking for a place to settle down and rest in the back of the truck, he stepped on one of the guns, shooting you know, causing it to shoot, it went through the side of the pickup truck and hit the leg of Matt Branch, the, the the fellow who used to play for LSU. Now, this is a terrible, terrible story, and luckily, Matt is doing okay. He did have to have his leg amputated, which is absolutely awful, but he is, he's, he's doing okay, but this just brings me back to something we discussed on our last episode, and it's so crazy because it also did relate to current LSU players, and when I saw this story, it was just like deja vu all over again. Why, you know, with all these gun stories that we have, and there's far too many of them these days, usually, usually, they're not, hap they're not happy stories, right? When's the last time you guys have seen a gun headline that's like a fun, positive headline? Machine Gun saves birthday party. Machine Gun is the star of the show at the recital. No, no, that all sounds terrible. There's no moments. Rifle has a great time at the Bruno Mars concert. No, there's never headlines like that. And I'm not trying to say there should be. I just don't think there's really stories like that. Because when you hear about guns normally, what, what's, what's happened? Somebody's hurt or somebody's dead. Which I don't, I don't know about you guys. To me, that doesn't seem positive. And for some reason, we have this intense loyalty to guns in this country. Where a lot of people seem to think guns have more rights than people do. And this is one of the many reasons and one of the many examples, like we just saw with these young gentlemen, that... Maybe we should be. Maybe we should um, be a little bit uh, careful. Maybe we do need to be a little bit careful. Maybe we do need to be careful about where we have guns, who has guns. It's just. It's sad to me. It's frustrating to me because I don't know how many situations like this act with whether they're accidental or whether they're on purpose, or whatever it is. All these stories about guns are bad. They're bad. They're bad. Like, end of the day, like, I understand these guys were going hunting. I think it's okay if you want to go hunting in a controlled environment. Obviously, this was a crazy freak accident, and I would never, you know, wish this upon anyone. This is absolutely terrible, and my prayers are going out to, to Matt Branch. My prayers are going out to all of his friends, you know, who, who helped him out through this. And, you know, I'm glad he was there to be able—I'm glad he was with his friends and people who were, who were with him to be able to help him through the situation— but I think it's just yet another example that more guns don't really make us safer. 
there's not really any way that having more guns around is is really helping our society is really making us healthier and safer Twitter is a world unto itself. It is really a whole micro society that's not even that micro where memes spread like wildfire and and jokes and videos and it really is a, an American subculture where soon enough I'm sure there will be anthropological books and whole seminars discussing NBA Twitter. It really is a rich rich vein of resources, knowledge, and entertainment. And now the NBA has just announced that it will be adding a little something to the mix, another ingredient to the mix of NBA Twitter. Now, we have NBA Twitter to thank for the crying Jordan meme, for the LeBron waving his hand at J.R. Smith meme, and many, many other incredible memes nba twitter thank you keep doing your thing and now like i mentioned one more ingredient that's going to spice up nba twitter even more that is nba referees yes that's right the nba has announced that the nba referees association will assign referees to participate in an nba ref watch party so all you have to do is hashtag ref watch party there's actually one going on right now as i speak in the game between these sixers and these spurs the way this works is the referees actually comment on calls during the game and people can react as they go for example this was just three minutes ago NBA referees said second quarter, 5 minutes, 38 seconds. Bolden comes up short and there's a point of contact missed with contact on the arm. This should have been called as a foul. Hashtag ref watch party. So, first of all, whoever's refing the game right now, you just got called out on NBA Twitter by one of your colleagues. That sucks. That should have been called a foul. And the other ref, whoever is right now handling the NBA ref Twitter... Just called you out and said that should have been a foul. Now you get comments. Who asked you? LOL. Well, okay. The, they, you know, it's okay. Somebody's already saying, how about Harden's double step back? I mean, people are having comments. People are able to interact on the referees. Is this a good idea? I'm not totally sure, but I do love, and I. this is one thing I love about the NBA. The NBA has definitely been the most progressive of any major sports league here in the United States in terms of giving their players a voice, interacting with the fans. That's one of the reasons why NBA Twitter is so awesome and why the NBA is really a growing sport. Here's another one that was 40 minutes ago early in the game. When a player is stationary, he must release the ball prior to his pivot moving. However, when the player is moving, he must release prior to completing his two steps. Here, Simmons, that's Ben Simmons, gathers, then steps twice and releases the ball. It is a legal play. A lot of comments on this one. One fan, this is such a travel. Stop making up rules. Somebody else, is this a parody account? Somebody else, he literally took three steps with the ball. Somebody else, except he takes three steps. Somebody else, wait, you're actually saying this isn't a travel? LOL, I needed a laugh. So, is this a good idea? I'm not sure. Is this going to end poorly for the refs? Probably. The comments are already going crazy. People are getting in there and people are able to respond right away. The one smart thing about this, for sure, it just says NBA referee. So we have no idea which referee is actually making the comments, explaining which one, which call happened and why it didn't happen, etc., etc. But I do love the transparency it shows. I do. And I think it's awesome that the NBA is on the forefront. Hopefully one day, if this works out, all the games might have a ref watch party. So you can follow right along, get in NBA Twitter fights with the referee over whether a call should have been a foul or not, and just argue along as the game goes. And if your friend's rooting for the other team and they don't think it's a foul or they do think it's a foul, you can just send them the straight-up referee explanation right off the bat. Now, like I said, it might cause a little office turmoil to have some referees straight-up just going against what other referees said during the game. 
Yeah, I mean that that might cause a little. I might go back to the office and be like, uh, "Why, why would you say that, man? I'm doing my best, and I I called a foul, and you didn't think that was a good foul. How could you say that?" But I think you know it does hold these guys accountable to try to be the best at their jobs because they know that they have somebody who's watching them like a little angel on Twitter and is gonna tweet out whether they make a good call or a bad call. The game just hit halftime. And the NBA referee said, during halftime of the hashtag ref watch party, we'll have a you be the ref quiz. Tonight's focus will be goaltending. We'll show three plays and have you vote on it if it is goaltending or not. Then we'll reveal the answer. I love this, and I feel like that's like a booyah back in the face of the fans by the refs. You think this job is easy? Look at these videos. You tell me if it was a foul or not. You tell me if it was a goaltend or not, if you're so fucking smart and you know everything about basketball. Tell me about this. And I think it's a great to show it is really hard to be a ref. It is super hard to be a ref. There's so many people on you. There's so many people shouting profanities at you the whole game. You're running up and down the court sweating trying to keep up with these incredible athletes. And you have to make these calls in the split, split, split second without – you don't get the benefit of the replay. You don't get the benefit of Twitter commentary. Before you make the call, you have to make these calls right away. So at the end of the day, these guys are pretty dang good at their jobs, and you have to respect – that they're opening it up to interact with the fans, to show the fans and to give the fans a little window into how hard their jobs really are. Now, the ref watch party is something that we definitely could have used last weekend during the AFC and NFC championship games. There were a lot of controversial calls and there was a lot of moments that I'm sure people, I mean, people were already on Twitter writing crazy shit and, and uh, being very angry. So I'm sure it would have been great to have some refs right there with them to kind of discuss, go back and forth. Why was it a foul? Why, or in football, it's called a penalty. But why was it a penalty? Why was it not a penalty? Should it have been a penalty? Et cetera, et cetera. Breaking down the rules on the public stage of the internet for all to see as the game goes on. Now, the most controversial call of all, and there were several controversial calls, but the most controversial of all was undoubtedly by Bill Vinovich and his crew. Now, it's a, it's a crew situation, so you can't just say it was one person because any of the people could have made the call, and it was a non-call. So actually, the most controversial call wasn't a call at all. And on the play, the Saints were driving to take the lead at the very end of the game. Drew Brees, tiny little Drew Brees, who's still chugging along, the little engine that could. He threw a pass that probably could have been caught, but we'll never ever know. Because just as Tommy Lee Lewis, and yes, his first name is Tommy Lee. It's one word. It's not hyphenated. It's just one whole word. And yes, he is from the state of Florida, obviously. Where else uh, would somebody with the full name Tommy Lee Anyway, you know, not a superstar, but he's hanging in there and been contributing, and Tommy Lee Lewis was ready to catch it, but right before the ball even got to him, Nikel Roby Coleman of the, oh, I was about to say St. Louis, because they, they used to live there, but the Nikel Roby Coleman of the Los Angeles Rams came right up and smashed him in the face, with his face, as they do in football, so he never even had the chance to catch the ball, and it just went bouncing on the ground. Now Saints fans were livid and this is a big reason they've been suing the NFL, putting up billboards, all this type of stuff like I mentioned before. And look, I'm a big sports fan like you know. I can understand why they're mad. I would definitely be mad too. But let's remember here, it's a split instant of a call. You don't have replays on fouls or on penalties. You just have to make the call in the moment. Did they miss the call? Absolutely. It was a terrible call. And they missed the call. And it's pretty hard to miss somebody getting smashed in the face. It's pretty obvious. But I think it's important to recognize, and I think something that a lot of people, most sports fans, probably don't know. All these referees for the NFL, NFL refereeing is not their full-time job. No, this is a part-time job. These guys only have this, this job. All right, you have 16 games in a season. Then you have four preseason games, so that's up to 20. And then if you're really good for the best crews and the best officials, they assign them to work in the playoffs. 
So you could have the wild card round, divisional round, conference championship round, and Super Bowl. So even the best, 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 best referees would work 24 games in a season, 24 days out of the year. That's not a full-time job. Look, I would love 24 days out of the year. sounds like a great uh, work schedule to me. But that is not the full-time job for these referees. Yes, they do get paid pretty well, but all of these guys have other jobs. Bill Vinovich, for example, the guy who was the head referee on that crew for the Saints-Rams games, he's an accountant. He is an accountant. Now, I'm sure a lot of people might not trust his accounting skills now after he wasn't able able to account for the fact that a guy smashed another guy in the face with his own face, but he is an accountant. That's his job when he's not a referee. Gene Steratore, my personal favorite referee, and yes, I do have a favorite referee, and if you saw him, you would understand why. This man has more swagger than any other referee. He says the calls. He, this man, Gene Steratore, is such a G, he comes out and does the foul calls like he's like at a jazz club. He's like, it was a... Holding on the defense, number 28. It's going to be a first down for the offense. Like, he is just so smooth. I've never seen a cooler referee than Gene Steratore. What does he do when he's not refereeing and being a badass baller? He owns Steratore Sanitary Supplies. I'm not even kidding. I'm not even kidding. That's totally real. Look it up. Steratore Sanitary Supplies, and he owns it with his brother, who's also a referee. And yeah, they sell like soaps and sponges and other different sanitary supplies, like the name of their company suggests. That's his full-time job when he's not being a referee. What about Walt Anderson, another really prominent referee? He used to be a dentist until recently. He's getting older now, so he retired, and now he really only does work 24 days out of the year. But he used to be a dentist. Tony Carrenti, he was a high school teacher. Shout out to La Mirada, my man Fernando. Y'all know what it is because he used to be your social studies teacher, right? This man, he retired recently as well. He's getting up there in years, but he was a high school teacher. Ron Torbert, Cleet Blakeman, and yes, Cleet Blake, Cleet. This man, this man has the best ref name ever. His name is Cleet. Like, like what they wear on their feet. Cleet's for your feet, and his name is Cleet, and he's a referee, and what are they? They're lawyers. They're both attorneys, Ron Torbert and Cleet Blakeman. Uh, what about Sean Hockley, John Perry? They're financial advisors. Pete Morelli, he's a high school president, which I assume just means um, he's a principal type thing. Uh, Jerome Boger, he's an Allstate insurance agent. Okay, so... It's hard. It's hard enough to be a referee, but imagine if you have to go back and you got a big case on your hand because you're a lawyer as well. Or if there's a new shipment of sponges coming in this week and it's delayed because there's a big snowstorm in Pennsylvania where, sanit where Sterator Sanitary Supplies is located, right? It, there's a lot of things on your mind. And a lot of these guys, like I said, are running their own businesses, have other jobs because you can't work 24 days a year. So... Maybe, maybe instead of hating on all these referees, instead of saying they're stupid, criticizing them, threatening to kill them, and all this stuff like many people have, maybe the NFL should just step up and make refereeing a full-time job. I don't know. Pay these guys enough so they don't have to work year-round. And maybe set up different camps, educational trainings, have them practice refereeing lower-level games or practice with, like, test crash dummies like they do in those you know, Honda commercials, to try seeing penalties and make sure that they really, really practice and get it down, get it right. Because a lot of these players, as you know, and as you can imagine, are practicing year-round, even when they don't have games. Yeah, a lot of the players don't, the players can't have any more than 24 games a year either, just like the referees can't. But I feel like every single day when these guys aren't playing, they're working, it's still work. It's still work. It's not only work when you're playing on the field. It's work every day when they're lifting weights, when they're taking care of their bodies, not eating Burger King, when they're, you know, running in the sand, carrying bricks, doing all types of crazy workouts, swimming, running underwater, practicing plays, watching film, practicing with the jugs machine, which is the machine is called that uh, shoots balls out super fast and you have to try to catch them and it really hurts. They shoot them super fucking fast, but these guys can catch them, right? So all these different ways that they practice all the time, it's a full-time job. 
And maybe that's the biggest problem of all. And maybe that's why people get mad at referees so often. And these guys miss so many calls. Maybe it should be their full-time job. And maybe the NFL should provide a system or provide a program that enables these guys to be a referee year-round and work on being a better referee year-round, even when they're not on the field with the players, with the teams. And maybe that's actually something that might make the quality of the product on the field a little bit better. And maybe people will have less reason to, to be mad at referees and to sue them and to threaten them. So do I think this was a bad call? Yes, of course it was a bad call. Both games had a couple bad calls that were really bad calls. But it's hard. It's a really hard job. And remember, these are these guys' part-time jobs. They all have families back home. They run sanitation companies and handle people's finances and sell people insurance and help people floss and install dentures. Okay? So these guys have a lot of things to worry about beyond the field. And maybe that's the first step towards fixing all this animosity between fans and between players against referees. As my I'm Open family knows, there is something that we must do every single episode of the I'm Open podcast before we say goodbye. And that is to recognize, acknowledge, and sometimes appreciate, depending on the uh, accomplishment or act, the mascot performer of the week. Of course, this segment is inspired by Future the Wizard. Go check out his new album. Thank you, Future, for blessing us with your new album and with your style. Mask on, fuck it, mask on, mask on, fuck it, mask on. Our mask off performer of this week is former running back Darren McFadden. Darren was a legend at University of Arkansas. Pig suey, as they say, and they really do say that. I'm not making that up. Pig Suey, and he was unstoppable. He was so freaking good. Even though he was a running back, they just snapped the ball straight to him. They didn't even have a fucking quarterback. They just said, Darren, do your thing, my man. Do your thing. And he was still unstoppable. They couldn't bring this man down. He was on the Dallas Cowboys. He was on the Oakland Raiders, and he is no longer in the NFL. But he is the mask-off performer of this week. Now, what, what what's going on with Darren McFadden? Why is he back in the news? He was actually arrested on Monday and charged with driving while intoxicated. Now, that's not uh, funny. I don't definitely wouldn't recommend anybody to drive while intoxicated. Definitely not saying that's a cool thing to do. But when you look at the details of this story, Darren was actually not driving at all. He was asleep in his car in a drive-thru window of a Whataburger. What a... What a burger. And I haven't been there. Sh- uh, shout out to my friends and family in Texas. Let me know. Do I need to go there? Is it worth it? Is it just like in and out I know everybody thinks their own burgers from their own city are the best. That's why I'm repping five guys all day. 202. But he was at the Whataburger. And I guess he must love it. He is from Texas. He was out just outside of Dallas at the Whataburger. Uh, late Monday evening, I guess. Monday morning, so depending on what, uh, anyway, it was late. My man wanted a little late late night snack, but he wasn't caught driving, he was caught sleeping in the drive-thru line, at the drive-thru window, I guess. First of all, obviously, the arrest is a little bit misleading. He was not driving while intoxicated, he was sleeping in his car while intoxicated. So, I mean, he, you know, he obviously had to, he probably got there by driving, but unless they have a video footage, maybe his friend drove him there then Darren fell asleep in the front seat and his friend got out to go grab something, run an errand or something. I don't know. Really? Who is, who is to blame here? Because like I feel like by the time you get to a drive-thru, you're on a you're on a mission to get food. My man wanted a Whataburger, obviously. So how did he immediately fall asleep 
like this must have been the slowest drive-through ever. This these guys literally must have been moving at a snail's pace. So I kind of feel like this actually might be the drive-through attendance people's fault at the Whataburger. And I'm not trying. I've never even been to a Whataburger, and I would I would I would love to try one. I would love to try Whataburger. So I don't want people to think that I'm against them. I still want to be in good graces with all the all the people down at Whataburger, so I can go try one. And I would never want to, you know, ruin that opportunity before I get it. But how slow could they have been moving that my man Darren fell asleep waiting in the drive-thru line? Now, I've been in some slow drive throughs where you're like, all right, come on. Like, how much is this dude really ordering? I know y'all are just microwaving everything. Can you just pop it out to me now? Like, what's going on? So I can understand, like, sometimes there's a lot of people in line. It's people ordering a lot of different stuff. I understand it's complicated. But if you're taking so damn long that the dude literally falls asleep in line, that's honestly, it's that's more of a customer service. That, on my mind, that seems like more of a customer service problem than anything else. Like, how could it? How could it possibly take that long? That you, that the man falls asleep at any, you know, at any restaurant. If I'm going to sit down to dinner, I order a meal, and I fall asleep by the time the waiter comes back. That means the waiter is probably not really being that attentive, or I'm an insomniac. But unless Darren is an insomniac, which I, I'm, I'm pretty, pretty sure, really mostly sure that he's not, it seems like maybe they were just moving so slow at the Whataburger. Like, look, this is, this is a Dallas Cowboy. This is a former Dallas Cowboy, Darren McFadden. Put a little freaking pep in your step and get this man his Whataburger. Why do you, you're waiting so long he has to fall asleep in line as he's waiting for his burger? Did he even order? Or was he waiting to order? Or was he, like, did he order and then he fell asleep because you guys were taking so freaking long to get his burger out? Or was he waiting so long to be able to order? He was just like, man, I'm just going to nap because these people are not moving this line. Either way, you know, I kind of feel like Darren shouldn't have had to wait that long. I don't know how long he actually waited. If we can get some sort of a cam, hidden cam footage, maybe it'll tell us exactly how long he was waiting in that Whataburger line. But I would be curious to know, like, how long were you making this guy wait for his burger? Can't be that complicated. What were they going and slaughtering the cow and bringing it back, handling the meat, curing the meat, grilling it up? I don't, I don't uh, think so. I don't think so. I'm pretty sure they were probably popping it, popping it out of the freezer, popping it on the grill, and then popping it into the bag. That can't take that long. It can't take that long. So, kids and adults and everyone, don't drink and drive. Don't be intoxicated while you drive. It's a very bad idea. It's illegal. It's not something we recommend. It's not something we condone. Actually, we're against it. We're definitely against it. We don't, we don't want anyone to do that. But I just do have to say I'm slightly wondering if maybe the full story is going to come out about this. I'm waiting to hear Darren's statement. How long did these Whataburger people take to get this man his food? How long to, to make him fall asleep as he was waiting in the drive-thru line? So, he, Darren, is our mask off, performer of the week. I hope he wasn't wearing a sleeping mask while he was driving. Because that that's, I know a lot of people do like to sleep with a sleeping mask, but I'm, I'm sure uh, he wasn't. And that's another reason why he is our Mask Off Performer of the Week. Thanks again for listening to the I'm Open Podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating and tell your friends to listen to the show. You can follow us on Instagram at I'm Open underscore pod for hilarious and one-of-a-kind sports content every single day. Everybody, have a great night, and uh, don't forget to stay open.